So this wasn't the episode I was gonna do, but it's the episode I've gotta do. We're talking about sternocleidomastoid. And, you know, when things come up, when inspiration strikes, you just kind of have to sometimes go with it. You know how we do. Uh, We've been doing a lot of leg muscles lately. And so that was the general plan to keep going on that road. But pediatrics lab happened and we got roasted for not having a greater understanding in regard to the SCM. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dig deep. We're going to get through this barrier together because you know what? It doesn't always go as you plan. And hey, it's another episode. So why not? (laughs) But right after a break from our sponsor. And we're back, nerds. Welcome to Anatomy Bites, the podcast where we talk about anatomy in bite-sized chunks. This podcast is from the perspective of a physical therapy student. I am almost done with my second year. Oh my God. I'm like four weeks away, maybe three weeks away. I can't even keep count anymore. And as soon as we're done with that, we have competency exams, makeups from last year on top of this year. And then we start our first full-time clinical experience. Part of me thought I would be terrified by this time, but I'm actually really feeling ready for that because I could really use a change of pace. And I'm actually really excited to get into the clinic and really start to synthesize all this stuff. And to be honest, we've been going full speed ahead, especially through COVID, like hitting it so hard where I feel like I've just like blasted through a bunch of temporary finish lines on my way here and like maybe not digested some things as well as I would like to. And I feel like during clinical rotations, I'm going to have just like a sliver, like a tiny sliver, bit more time than I do right now to look back at things. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to study over the summertime. No, 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 no. But what I'm going to do, I'm sure, because this is just how my brain works, is once I see a condition reflected in one of my patients, I'm going to have to learn more about it, not just because I want to treat this patient the best that I can, but because once I know a knowledge barrier, I can't think of anything else until I cross that barrier. It's like kind of something that just like consumes my brain, right? So (laughs) that's why we're talking about sternocleidomastoid today. So we'll hit it with the 
O's, I's, and A's first, and then kind of, as we do, do a little full circle at the end as to why this muscle is actually really important to know and why my pediatrics professor, who is just such an awesome ball of energy, just amazing clinician and professor, why she just like had to squeeze (laughs) the knowledge of a CM that we had and like tell us like why that wasn't good enough because it actually relates to a pediatric condition and it's like super, super important. So we'll talk about that. So before we do, let's do the nerd stuff and get right into origins, insertions, innervations, and actions of the sternocleidomastoid from the 20th edition of Anatomy of the Human Body by Henry Gray public domain text. You can download it yourself if you're here in the United States for free. It is a great text. I'll add in info when I feel like the text is out of date, but you know what? Like I say in every episode, anatomy doesn't change all that much. So let's roll with it. Okay, here we go. Sternocleidomastoid, also known as SCM, passes obliquely across the side of the neck. It is a thick and narrow muscle at its central part, but broader and thinner at either end. It arises from the sternum and clavicle by two heads. The medial or sternal head is a rounded fasciculus, tendinous in front, fleshy behind, which arises from the upper part of the anterior surface of the manubrium sterni, or the manubrium bone of the sternum, and is directed upward, lateral word, and backward. The lateral or clavicular head, composed of fleshy and aponeurotic fibers, arises from the superior border and anterior surface of the medial third of the clavicle. It is directed almost vertically upward. The two heads, the sternal and clavicular head, are separated from one another at their origins by a triangular interval but gradually blend below the middle of the neck into a thick, rounded muscle, which is inserted by a strong tendon into the lateral surface of the mastoid process, from its apex to its superior border, and by a thin aponeurosis into the lateral half of the superior nuchal line of the occipital bone. Gray would like us to know that there are some variations with SCM, so let's talk about them. The SCM varies much in the extent of its origin from the clavicle. In some cases, the clavicular head may be as narrow as the sternal. In others, it may be as much as seven and a half centimeters in breadth. When the clavicular origin is broad, It is occasionally subdivided into several slips, separated by narrow intervals. More rarely, the adjoining margins of the sternocleidomastoideus and trapezius muscle have been found in contact. The supraclavicularis muscle arises from the manubrium behind the sternocleidomastoid and passes behind the sternocleidomastoid to the upper surface of the clavicle. There are also 
a couple of triangles that we do need to discuss in regards to the anatomy of sternocleidomastoid. This muscle divides the quadrilateral area of the side of the neck into two triangles, an anterior and a posterior triangle. The boundaries of the anterior triangle are, in front, the median line of the neck, above the lower border of the body of the mandible, and an imaginary line drawn from the angle of the mandible to the sternocleidomastoid behind the anterior border of the sternocleidomastoid. The apex of the triangle is at the upper border of the sternum. The boundaries of the posterior triangle are in front, the posterior border of the SCM, below the middle third of the clavicle, behind the anterior margin of the trapezius. The apex corresponds with the meeting of sternocleidomastoid and trapezius on the occipital bone. The anatomy of these triangles are described in more detail later in this text. And that has to do with the vessels of the neck and the structures that are identifiable within these triangles. And that's why we care about them. They help us with our surface anatomy. Moving on. Innervation. The sternocleidomastoid is supplied by the accessory nerve, which is cranial nerve 11, and branches from the anterior divisions of the second and third cervical nerves. Actions. We want to talk about sternocleidomastoid in regards to its unilateral actions as well as its bilateral actions because they are different. So keep that in mind. According to Gray, when only one unilateral sternocleidomastoid acts, it draws the head toward the shoulder of the same side, and at the same time, it rotates the head so as to carry the face toward the opposite side. So we're talking unilateral ipsilateral lateral flexion of the neck with contralateral rotation. Acting together from the sternoclavicular attachments, these muscles will flex the cervical part of the vertebral column. So what this is saying is when we consider the bilateral action of sternocleidomastoid, so when the two sides are working together simultaneously, the muscles will flex the cervical part of the neck. We will get cervical flexion. So, one side working, we have ipsilateral lateral flexion, contralateral rotation, and it makes sense if you look at where the origins and insertions are. When they are working together, right and left side, we are looking toward our belly button. Cervical flexion. Gray continues, and I quote, if the head be fixed, if the head be fixed, 
the two muscles assist in elevating the thorax in forced inspiration. That is so cool. And it's something that I feel like we do not talk about enough. So we're gonna tack that on to the pediatrics discussion as well. Okay, so we have a lot going on with sternocleidomastoid, but the, the thing about this muscle that makes it really cool to learn about is that it is super visible with surface anatomy. So if you are looking in a mirror and you can trace your fingers down to the top of your sternum, and there's a little bit of a, a notch, as we call it, it is called the jugular notch or the sternal notch, right on either side is your sternocleidomastoid. So that is gonna be the sternal head right there. And you can follow it up and it's a pretty thick muscle so you can even kind of like get a little bit of a light grip on it, don't squeeze hard. We have carotids and things, very important vessels and nerves right in that area so don't go too hard but you can sort of trace that muscle up to your mastoid process and you'll notice that it doesn't stop there you might feel like a bit of a flatness right so you get up to your your mastoid process and you don't feel that thick band because it's a fleshy flat part and that is extending toward your occipital bone so it's pretty cool that you can find it on yourself and for a lot of people this muscle is very pronounced and there's a couple reasons why one has to do as gray says with fixed or forced inspiration and what is that it's a really deep breath so we haven't really talked much about respiration but I want you to know the takeaway from this particular part of the episode is that there are so many muscles that are related to respiration. Muscles all throughout your rib cage, of course your diaphragm, but also there are some muscles in your neck which attach your neck, your head, and your rib cage. And when they need to be recruited for an extra vigorous breath, they literally <laughs> pull from their origin and lift the ribcage. And so in certain pathologies, for example, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, people that have difficulty breathing, they are going to have super overdeveloped neck muscles. And this is why, because they need extra help for respiration. So if you have an overdeveloped sternocleidomastoid, I'm not saying that you have problems breathing, but you may have a little bit of stress because we also tend to kind of curl into a flexed position when we are stressed or when we have spent too many hours at the computer or looking down at our cell phones or any number of activities where we are curling into a posture of flexion. We tend to round the shoulders, curl over throughout the entire spine. And what this does is if we spend too much time in any one position, those muscles do tend to get shorter. And 
We talked a little bit about the plumb line last time, but basically when the muscles in the front of your neck are overdeveloped or overly short, they tend to pull your head forward. And this will give you what is called a forward head posture. So when you have the external auditory meatus forward of your acromion from the sagittal view, it's going to look a little bit like your, your chin is protruding forward, the back of your neck may look a little bit extended, and well, the upper cervical spine will be extended. The lower cervical spine tends to be flexed. I know that sounds weird, but go with me there. But when you have this forward head posture, again, sternocleidomastoid could be a player. And I noticed this in myself actually the other day when I was out in the park filming some videos for a patient's home exercise program. Basically, I didn't want to do it at home. It was a good excuse to get away. I had a tripod and my cell phone. And so I went and I had to take some pictures and videos in the sagittal view. And most of them were standing. And boy, oh boy, COVID. COVID, 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 we have been spending too much time indoors in the same places and not enough outside time. And the reason why I noticed this is because my posture within the last year has really started to suffer. I'm not gonna shame myself for that. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons why being a grad student is probably one of them. But it did make me notice that I need to start working on my own posture. So part of that is going to be a little bit of stretching of my sternocleidomastoid in addition to developing some strength in the muscles in the back of my neck. Anyway, that's a little bit of something that I need to work on. Let's talk a little bit more about sternocleidomastoid and what shortness can do, as I mentioned earlier, in the pediatric population. So due to COVID, We've had tons and tons of schedule changes within the last year. And what happened earlier this semester was that we weren't allowed on campus from January till March 1st, but some of our classes had to be adjusted where normally we would have had an on-campus lab this entire semester. We've been having Zoom labs just to talk about theory and case application and now for the last four weeks of class, we are finally allowed on campus for pediatrics lab. And let me tell you, we had so much fun on Friday. It was five hours and at the end of the five hours, my professor set up a totally relevant, totally, totally relevant obstacle course for us to play, <laughs> but in a focused intervention way. It was super cool and it makes me just really appreciate the pediatric population. And let me tell you, if you have any interest in working with children and you plan on becoming a physical therapist in the United States, you will never ever want for work. And what I mean by that is you will never lack clients. This population needs a lot of help and there are not a lot of specialists in this field. So if you have any interest in learning more about PT, pediatric PT, I definitely encourage you to look into it because not only is it rewarding, it's really fun and it is so, so needed, so needed. So check it out.
Anyway, so we were talking about the pathology of torticollis. If you don't know what torticollis is, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail, but it involves shortness in infants of the sternocleidomastoid. And it usually happens, well, it does happen on one side. And so what this does is it affects the child in presentation of an asymmetric neck posture. And let me tell you, we know, because we went through it in extensive detail, the actions of sternocleidomastoid involve not just a lateral flexion component, but also a rotational component. So children with this pathology end up with one side that is shortened and one side that is lengthened. And they tend to adapt a position where their, let's say it's their right side, their right ear is bent toward their right shoulder, but their chin and their nose are pointing toward the left. And so anytime we have asymmetries developing in children, we know that we need to take care of them right away because this can set up a foundation of alignment problems as a child be begins and continues to grow. And, you know, for example, torticollis can lead to a scoliosis and other things. So when we were talking about um, <laughs> torticollis in lab the other day, our professor, who I already told you how wonderful she is, but she is tough, basically pulled the card that very rarely happens in PT school in that she wanted to know the exact, and I'm saying exact, origin insertion and action of SCM. And everybody, I mean, because at this point, we already took anatomy, it was over a year ago, we've taken biomechanics, we've taken all the practicals where we would have had to orally recite these origins, origins and insertions. And at this point, we need to know where they are, but we don't have to necessarily be able to recite on the spot the, you know, lateral third of the blah, blah, blah prominence, et cetera, et cetera. We know our osteology, we know our myology, but we haven't had to recite it on the spot in a very long time as such. And so when she asked us to recite from memory, the origins, insertions, and actions of SCM, everybody froze. Like, we started to kind of point and just like mumble out generalities, like, oh, you know, mastoid process and the sternum and the clavicle. No, 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 no. That wasn't good enough. So uh, everybody started to scramble and look online. And finally, one of my classmates just was able to uh, save us all from the absolute embarrassment of just like having a moment of deer in headlights. And anyway, so that brings us to this episode today of why we need to talk about SCM. So that's a little nugget of anatomy for you today. And I hope one thing that you take with you from this podcast episode is that this muscle has a lot of functions that can go wrong based on being too short. So 
you'll look online and you'll see a lot of stretches for sternocleidomastoid because it is one of the muscles that tends to be implicated with neck pain, with chronic shoulder tension, neck tension, and of course, as I mentioned, forward head posture. So take a look at your own and maybe, you know, work through some of those stretches where, you know, when you're stretching, you're doing the opposite of the action. So just see, how does that feel? And man, I know that from studying, from looking at my phone all the time, and from riding my bike, I've got some pretty short SCMs. I don't know about you. Of course, this is not a medical diagnosis, just something that I noticed about myself. Wanted to share the wealth. Anyway, I hope you're all having a fabulous week. Wish me luck on my final exams. I have a feeling the next three weeks is going to be brutal. And if I can be completely honest, I'm pretty much in the good enough mode right now where perfectionism has got to go. It's out the door and I'm just on kind of a survival level right now where I have a massive checklist every day and as long as I can stay focused and get through each piece, today is one day and tomorrow is another. So this is the life of a doctoral student who is almost done with their second year. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Anatomy Bites. And if you feel so inclined, please rate us on iTunes or Apple Store and uh, let us know what you think. You can find me on social media at Nikki-Ray, that's at N-I-K-K-I-D-A-S-H-R-A-E on Instagram, sometimes Twitter, and barely TikTok. Have a great day.